Buonasera amici. Welcome to Kimberly's Italy. It's evening here, but before we carry on, Tommaso, take it away. Un podcast dove parliamo di tutti le cose italiane. <laughs> Bravo. He just took over where I normally say, Welcome to Kimberly's Italy, a podcast about all things Italian. And he just did it in Italian with some inflection. Sei un uomo italiano adesso. <laughs> Bravo. And one other thing. What? Beviamo un oh. scotch. <laughs> you guys, he's up here in his office taking Luisa's classes again or something. He just said, we're having a scotch because... A, it's dark, it's evening, it's cold out, and we still have this lingering cold. So it, it was his idea to have a scotch, and so there we are. Okay? It's I didn't, not I, an Italian drink, but it is one of our favorites. I actually didn't. It wasn't my idea to have a scotch. I said, would you like a beverage? And you said, what do you want? And I said, whatever you're having. Throwing it back to me. Shall we like dive into this episode instead? Si, certo. <laughs> okay, we left you hanging last episode when I started to tell you about our fabulous Vespa rides on the vintage Vespas in Rome. Or, if we're carrying on with our Italian lessons, un giro favoloso con una Vespa. It was so fantastic. There were four of us on Vespas, where you ride behind the driver, and two of us in an ape, which I described in the previous episode. And since there were six of us, the company that we hired, fantastic group of people, they decided to send Il Capo, the boss, because they give history throughout their tours. And since there were six of us, they wanted one person in charge, and they sent Il Capo. And normally, being that I'm a capa myself, I rode behind him. <laughs> I explained to him that my name is Capo with a K. Capo in Italian, the boss, is with a C. How do we combine Kimberly and Capa together? Capa Kimberly, Boston. Capa Kimberly. Facile così. <laughs> Why did you even ask? <laughs> so I rode behind the Capo and off we took as a pack. We sped through Trastevere at the beginning and pretty soon we were up on a hill above the city which I had never been to, and I had never seen the city from that vantage point. So it was a very good idea for them to start us there. Because, you know, we walked, you walked around Rome for four or five days, and it just seems vast. When you're elevated and look down, you're like, oh, right. And it doesn't look all that crazy large, but it does make you think or remind you if you walked about 10, 12 miles a day. So it is large, but it was a great place to start this three-hour Vespa tour. Rome is a wonderful place to walk off pasta. Mm -hmm, that's true. <laughs> and besides Il Capo giving us the lay of the land up there, looking at the city, they do this throughout the whole tour. They tell you what you're looking at, what you're driving by, all while driving. And it's not that easy, to be honest, to hear them because we have helmets on, the engine of the Vespa is a little noisy and then Rome in general is noisy and you're in traffic and it's just not that easy to hear, but they do their best and make an effort and really want you to know they want to share everything. But the funny part in my situation was every time Il Capo turned his head to tell me something, 
I could see that he was doing that. He wanted to. So I leaned forward and every single time it was like, can I do this on the microphone? <laughs> it's like clink, clink, clink. And each time I'm like, me dispatch. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And he's like, keep, it's, keep it's okay. Keep looking ahead, please. He goes, it's okay. So I thought about it. I go, well, um, does this happen like all day, every day when you try to tell someone something, you clink Bang helmets? helmets. And he goes, yeah. he just laughed. He goes, oh yeah, every day, all day. <laughs> he said, and he's married with two young kids. He goes, then I wake up in the middle of the night and all I can hear is ding, ding, ding in my sleep. And I just wake myself up and go, you're not on the Vespa. Go back to bed. He was really, really funny, but I felt good to know I wasn't the only headbanger that he's had. <laughs> Guns and Roses goes to. Is that what, that's a well, Guns and Roses song? Well, no, headbanger. I mean, sorry. No, I was thinking of headbangers. Let's carry on. Okay. <laughs> anyway, all of these drivers were so friendly and personable. And I kept thinking of how many languages they all must speak to do this job. And they were all Roman, locals, they were proud of their city, and they do this all day, every day with people from all over the world. So I'm sure English is the most common language for all the other foreigners, but it was really impressive that this is what these men chose to do. And on top of it, just so fun and nice. Other than that, I was super impressed with the fact that they knew every single little side street. But since we were the group of six, Il Capo that I was with was in the lead and everyone just followed us. But regardless, if you're just one or two people, they all know where they're going. Every single teeny little side street, alley, whatever. So at one point, Il Capo and I were primarily speaking in Italian. And after he took like a right, left, five rights and then a left. And then there we were at some fabulous place. I asked him, <laughs> I said, in Italian, I said, c'è una strada piccolissima che non conosci? Which means, is there a single street in this whole city that you don't know? And he burst out laughing. I said, what's so funny? He goes, no one's ever asked me that. They just assume I, I do know every street. And guess what? I do. <laughs> He grew up there. So I kept thinking in my old life in Manhattan that I was always so impressed with taxi drivers in Manhattan. But I'm sorry, New York City's easy. It's a grid. You can't get that lost once you go into Brooklyn or the Bronx or something. But I have a whole new appreciation for these Roman guys knowing their way around. A built-in GPS internally. Yes. <laughs> All right. Carrying on with our Vespa ride. They took us, after, you know, half hour or so driving around, to Via Appia Antica. And for those of you who may not heard of it, Via Appia is the oldest and most important road in the Roman Empire. They started it in the city of Rome in 312 BC. It was begun by a man named, check out this name, Appius Claudius Caiacus. Now, I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing that correctly, C-A-E-C-U-S, Kayakus. That name is just way too complicated, so that's why I think they came up with Via Appia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I couldn't find that anywhere in any history reference, but that's my take. Kayakus would be crazy. So Via Appia it is. It connected the city of Rome to the port of Brindisi on the southeast coast in Puglia, 
becoming the gateway to the east. And keep in mind, this is 312 BC. Question. Yes. How many times has it been repaved? I'm just kidding. Okay. It's stones. <laughs> well, no, no, no. The The real part is stones, big, huge stones. And we, right, we stood right. on them, which I, I'll get into later. But then with progress came some type of pavement. I'm not sure it was progress because <laughs> yeah, <you're laughs> street, right. streets don't last very long <laughs> these right. days. So the phrase, all roads lead to Rome, stem from this man's, his name, Oppius Claudius Caiacus. That phrase, all roads lead to Rome, stem from his engineering as well. He was also in charge of the construction of Rome's first aqueduct. So, Signor Oppius there, He's like the BC equivalent of Brunelleschi from late Renaissance, 1600s, right? He's the everything man. The everything man, just a little bit earlier. A lot earlier. And I do want to add, before we move on from Via Appia, that the Greeks made roads as far back as 2000 BC. So Via Appia is not the first road on the European continent, but the most important one in Roman history. 2000 BC. Isn't that amazing? God. They they did a lot as well. Yeah. Egyptians, Greeks, you name it. Those guys were all busy. <laughs> Very busy. And their life was a lot harder, really. Allora, back to Via Appia. We got off the Vespas at the Arch of Drusus. Yet another hard word to pronounce. D-R-U-S-U-S. That was the surname of someone importante way back then. And the funny thing about this location was that all of us in our little Vespa group there were going down this road and we knew we were on Via Appia and all of a sudden there was a backup like traffic and it was a one-way road and at the end of the road was this arch, obviously very, very old and behind it yet another old building. So it was like a T, like a three-way stop, like the T. We were on the bottom of the T, and in front of us, behind this old arch, was the perpendicular top of the T. And there was a stoplight on the other side of the arch. And no one really said anything. Il Capo and the other guys were all just like taking pictures of each other, you know, forward and backward on the oldest road in Roman history. And finally, Il Capo said, Well, as soon as we get up closer to the arch, I'm going to pull over, but there's this stoplight. Okay. So we finally get off, and as I was looking around, I thought, I don't know, Rome must have like cut back their budget on weed whacking or something because it was very uh, kind of unkempt looking. And I thought, well, I wonder why we're stopping here. I just didn't really get it. Then he told us the history of this arch Drurus, okay? So according to him, it's not agreed upon in history when this arch was actually built, but it's the beginning, within the first mile of Via Appia, and originally had been a three-arched structure, and only the center arch remains. remains. And he said it was probably from 9 BC. Let's give or take 100 years, I mean, <laughs> 9 BC. September 30th, 9 BC. However, I looked this up, and there's another historian out there who is Roman, who says it's from the 3rd century A.D. So you never know. <sighs> you how, never know. You never know. However, the arch was impressive. It was 
obviously ancient, and he was telling us the history about it. And then he said, now, since the stoplight has all the cars backed up, just cross in front of these cars and go over to those rocks. So we did. And they were like big Fred Flintstone rocks, you know, like two (laughs) or three feet kind of long and round and dark and had some grass growing up around them. And so we're standing on them and we're like, okay. And he goes, you ladies are standing on the original stones of the Apia Antica. And with that, I get my phone out. I'm taking pictures of my feet on these stones. And then I do a video of everyone. And I kept thinking, I kept kind of looking peripherally at all these Romans in their car, in the traffic at the stoplight. Zipping around. (laughs) No, they were in traffic waiting for the light. Oh, And they're looking at us like, oh God, another tourist. Another tourist. (laughs) But it didn't matter. Another tourist on an old rock. It was, oh, they all know that's the original. I know, I know. But to them, it's an old rock. Exactly. And here's the funniest part about that entire experience or the fact that this Druris arch is there is that every single day, Romans are driving under it. It's just like going to, you know, our our one blinking light in town and taking a right, right? It was so fantastic. So we all got it at the end, why we pulled over in the funny little unkempt area. And then we finally took off, took a right on the road and carried on. So we literally walked on the oldest stones of the Apia. You know, I've looked at pictures of the Tiber and everything, and you see a lot of weeds and different things coming around. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and after a couple thousand years, weed whacking gets a little boring. I mean, <laughs> oh, geez. I think it's all in their budget. Every I, city's got a budget. Yeah. But, you know, I look was looking at the pictures today that I took there and I thought I'm going to put some of these up on Instagram. I just have to, as we put out each of these episodes and I did the math with a calculator, of course, because you know how bad I am at math. (laughs) She doesn't have enough toes. (laughs) But the fact that we stood on these stones that were placed there 2,334 years ago. How awesome is that? All right. From there, we cruised back into the city and another bell ringer, as Rosanna would say. (laughs) (laughs) Rosanna was on our kitten club trip last fall. They took us to a pyramid. Yes, a pyramid. For all of my art history classes, all those years of studying art history and the many times I've been in Rome, I never even knew there was a pyramid, let alone see it. So Il Capo thought, you know, because we were all interested in history and they they show the history of everything. But I asked him to show us whatever is off the beaten path, whatever's a little different, just we'll go with the flow, whatever you want to do. So he took us to the pyramid and it was built by a very wealthy Roman for his tomb. And it's called the pyramid in Italian is pronounced Pyramide. So it's Pyramide di Caio Cestio. I think his surname was Caio or Chestio, I'm not sure. And not much is known about this man, except that he was clearly into all things Egyptian, as was the craze in Italy in the first century BC. For example, Tommaso, do you remember all the obelisks that you saw all over the city? Yep. All of those were from the Egyptian influence in architecture that made its debut 
in the first century. Well, don't forget the Roman Empire. If you look at the pictures, if you look at a history map of the Roman Empire, it extends from England all the way down past right. Turkey, right. whips around all the way to Egypt. But funny enough, like this one concept from Egypt of obelisks and pyramids became the rage in Rome. Imagine imagine how they translated that, though. You know, what do you do? Get someone to do a little drawing of yes, the proportions so, and everything. Right? And then they had to bring it on a boat and then go on the Via Appia. And, well, no, you no know they, probably, I mean? they probably didn't import it. They probably built it there. No, no, no. What I meant is the idea. Oh, the idea. Yeah, the, the popularity of an obelisk or a pyramid in Egypt had to come via a drawing. Well, yeah, to sure. Rome, yeah, to sure. Italy, yeah, you weren't taking France, out your iPhone and taking a couple of pictures. <laughs> but no, but no, seriously, I mean, it is, you know, to get the right proportions, mm-hmm. to get the right scale, mm-hmm. you know, it it took some real skill to document Which that. they all had, obviously. Yeah. Didn't have look, any, at, didn't, look at what still stands today. They didn't have AutoCAD back then. All around the world. Anyway, what is so impressive about this Pyramide is that about 300 years later, the Romans built a wall around the city, as all Italian cities did eventually. And in Rome's case, it was the Aurelian walls that were built around 275 AD. And El Capo on the Vespa told me the fact that they built that wall directly up to the size of the pyramid probably kept it standing all these years because it's small in scale compared to pyramids in Egypt. Sure. And the Romans thought, well, I don't want to like take a loop out of our our wall. We want a flat face and kind of octagonal as they would do in, in those days, building a wall around a city. So they just built the wall up on either side of the pyramid. So the juxtaposition of this ancient Roman wall and this pyramid from the first century is fantastic. So I have some pictures of that that I'll also put up on Instagram. Because if you listen to these podcast episodes and see the picture at the same time, I think you have a better grasp of what's going on. After we left the Pyramide, we rode through some neighborhoods where the locals live and they treated us to gelato at a local bar. However, I think it was Lucia's driver. He convinced me to try a macchiato because I wasn't really in the mood for a gelato. So a macchiato cafe there is not like a macchiato in Starbucks. It's just this shot of like pure caffeine with a teeny little drip of like milk on top. I don't know why I agreed to it, but I did. I couldn't even get halfway through and it was a teeny little glass of it. I was like, I'm sorry, I can't do it. He goes, that's fine. I'll finish it because she shoots it back. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, buzzing, buzzing, buzzing. But I did it. It was fun. They all got gelato and it was such a nice treat, which we didn't know was going to happen. He has no idea what you're like banging back an espresso. Because I don't bang back See, espressos ever. I know. Thank God. <laughs> no kidding. So we all get back on our Vespas and made our way through some very teeny, small, windy roads toward the Vatican. And we had asked them prior to the to the tour if they could drop us off there because we wanted to go inside the Basilica of San Pietro, St. Peter's, thinking that there wouldn't be too many people at that hour. You know, it was like 5, 5.30 at that point, And 
late, late, late in October. We thought it's going to be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So they they drove us as close as they could. And again, we're the four Vespas and the Ape. And they went as far as you can physically go in either a taxi or a moped type thing like that. And we all kind of like dismounted at the same time. And I kept thinking as I saw it peripherally happening, I was like, this looks like it was staged. We almost look like the Mod Squad or like Charlie's <laughs> Angels getting, getting you are, off. You are dating yourself. I know. Everybody knows by now. You're like, Fine. The, you know, <laughs> as, far as, the, as far as a lot of people today, the Mod Squad is the Appian way. It could be back then. <laughs> Jeez. It's okay. It was funny to get off at the same time. And then the guys did as well. They were so fantastic so nice and they agreed to like selfies and more photos i got photos of just them and then finally big hugs grazie mille as they drove off we're like ciao ciao amici see you soon it was awesome then we turn around and look in front of us and we're like oh (laughs) dio mio our happiness went like just straight downhill (laughs) And we collectively looked at the long, long line to get into San Pietro, St. Peter's, and all of us were like, no way. So we easily agreed that, no, thank you. I don't want to spend two hours in line and it'll happen another time. But this goes back to last fall. How how many times did we go by there? Line too long. So it didn't work out. It is one of my favorite interiors also in the world, St. Peter's inside Michelangelo's dome from 1546. Everything about it is totally worth going, but you just need to plan way in advance. I'm going to go someday. It's going to be a a rainy day in February. Yes, exactly. (laughs) When no one else, when no one else is around. Don't do a rainy day because when the sun pops through the top of the dome and hits Brunelleschi's tabernacle, oh, that's well, like it'll, it'll be raining magical. when it starts, so no one will be okay. lining up. Okay, and then good. those clouds will clear. Good idea. Therefore, since the line was so long and we were standing there and had kind of a long way to get back to our palazzos, I said, let me make it up to you. I'm going to walk you through the colonnade built and designed, I should say, designed by our friend, Gian Lorenzo Bernini, who I mentioned earlier. Oh, no, that was Brunelleschi. Sorry, I'm getting, I'm throwing out too many names. He has been mentioned. We've done, yes. this is episode 75. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot to say that. Setanta <laughs> Cinque. That's a bell ringer also. <laughs> so, Gian Lorenzo Bernini designed this colonnade and it was built around 1660. And the beauty of it is, for those of you that know, there's this double colonnade in this big arch shape that leads toward the entry of the basilica. But it's a, as they call it, a two-arm colonnade. So you can walk directly in the middle of these two rows of columns. And as they turn with the arch, as you curve, to the centimeter, it is matched. So I explained this to the girls and we walked through and, you know, peripherally you can see, okay, I'm coming up to the column on the left and the column on the right. And then I, you take three steps and they pass at the same time. The whole thing is such a magical, mind-blowing architectural experience. And 
it was a joy. And there weren't that many other people there, but enough that it bummed me out to take the picture from the floor up. So I cropped those people out. But it was beautiful and made up for the fact that we couldn't get in to the Basilica. I am literally so infatuated with the design of this colonnade and the fact that it only took them 11 years to build it with 284 freestanding columns just blows me away. So every time, just like I took you there last year, yeah, your yeah. first time, it, it, it just sucks you in. It's hard to leave. But we did. We had to. Even though it's one of my favorite architectural feats in Rome, we left. But as you all know, especially you, the Pantheon is my number one absolute go-to favorite. We took taxis back to our palazzos by the Spanish Steps neighborhood, well, where the other girls were staying, and then our Airbnb on the other side of the Spanish Steps. And we had a little happy hour in our Airbnb. Imagine that. Well, the other girls hadn't seen it. They were totally, totally content, happy, loved their accommodations, but they heard about ours and it was very, very cool. They also had not walked all the way up and down the Spanish steps, so they did so. And they came over for a happy hour. That was lovely. And we walked back to another area for yet another delicious dinner in Rome But it was kind of an early night. We didn't stay in the restaurant till midnight because we knew we were getting up early to go to our next destination. So the three of us, Carlotta and Lucia and I, said buonasera, buonanotte to the others. And we walked back up the Spanish steps for the last time. And we stood at the very top landing of the Spanish steps, took, and it was maybe 11 o'clock, And we took one last view of that beautiful, beautiful skyline, that beautiful city that's all lit up at night. How many people were up there with you? Just the three of us. Oh, it was just the three of us. That's what's, you know, we go back to the nighttime walking. Right, right. I said that to clients of mine who are going in February and, and she said, is it really safe to walk around at night? I go, yes, it is. Every time I've walked around at night, midnight, one o'clock, we, I just feel safe. You felt completely safe. And the beauty is not sharing it with anyone. Right, right. And it's lit so well. And you see the details without the crowds. It's, it's a, it's my favorite thing to do in Rome, to be honest. It's my favorite thing to do almost anywhere in Europe. To walk around at night. Walk around at night. Yes. Because the, mob is gone yes and you see everything and there's less noise everything so that's what we did we had this top of the spanish steps to ourselves looked at this view walked back to our place got up early and took a train to napoli and i have not been on a train in italy for i'd say a year Oh, right. Oh, I forgot. We had to take a train. I totally forgot about that. We had to take a train from Bari to Rome because of the plane strike. Yes. I forgot about that. Sciopero. Sciopero. Dio mio. Dude, (laughs) you're doing so well. Everybody clap. I forgot about that one train trip last year. Prior to that train trip, I probably had not been on a train in... 10 years, and we took the train from Roma to Napoli, eh, andata bene. It was totally fine. 
It was great. And that's where I'll leave you now. And we'll pick up next week with three days in Capri, my favorite volcanic rock. We stayed there. It was awesome. The day trippers are gone. Same thing. Capri at night. It's a dream. It was awesome. And I have to admit that Capri is also the absolute best during the off season. And I know I've been pushing the off season a lot, but I realize a lot of you cannot travel during the off season and summer is the only time you can go. So if that's you, I will politely remind you to start planning now or at least book accommodations so you have some. Or better yet, get in touch with me via email, kim at kimberlysitaly.com and I will help you plan a trip as fun as these trips I take. And I do get that a lot. A lot of people um, send me emails, Instagram messages, Facebook notes, and they're like, if you plan a trip for me and my family or my husband, whatever, can we have as much fun as you guys do? I was like, Certo. Well, I also say what happened just right now. By the way, the last time we spoke, we said we were spending New Year's in Bologna. We're not. We're spending New Year's in Lucca. Well, we just changed our minds. We today. changed our minds. But also, speaking to the hotel in Milan, uh, where we're staying, they've been busy, 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 yes. busy, yes. has not stopped. Yes. There's been best, no slowdown. Best year of their history. Of their history. Right. And their history has been... Um, quite, about 300 years. Quite a while. Yeah. So, um, yeah. If, you, if you're looking to do something... In 2023 and beyond. And beyond, follow up. There was an article in Forbes magazine I read today, and it said, it's not really too early to start thinking no, about 2024. Exactly. exactly. Okay, basta. Anything else you want to say in Italian, Tommaso? I don't know how to ask for a refresh in my scotch. Posso avere un altro, per favore? See. And I say, get your own. Okay, grazie mille a tutti. Ci sentiamo la settimana prossima. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. Buonanotte. Buonanotte. Buonanotte.